Good morning, everybody. Good morning, my friends. Hello to all of you. Glad to be here. Excited to speak with you. Before I begin, I would like to invite you to do something a little bit differently. Why don't you just take a moment right now, unclench your jaw, untighten your hands, let down your shoulders, take a deep breath. Because I want us to be refreshed this morning. That's what the entire purpose of this Sunday is about. Full disclosure, before I begin, what I'm going to share with you today, I have never actually preached before to anybody. This is a totally unique and new topic for me, and I say that because I did not have a message necessarily to give you, I had to get a message from the Lord. I feel like what I have to share this morning is a fresh word from God, and it is for you today, March 8th. Um, And I want you to know that maybe you're sitting in the back of the room, or maybe you could be listening to this on a podcast right now, and I'm thinking about you. You might not be able to connect with me so well today because you're far back. Maybe you can't see me so well. You can't see my facial expressions. But I want you to know that if you honor the Lord and you hear what His Word has to say today, I believe it could bring freedom to you. I believe that Today could be a day where a burden is lifted off of your shoulders. Today could be a day where you could have a revelation of hope that could transform your life. Because we are in this refresh series, and springtime has come. Don't believe what you see outside. It's it's on its way. Love is in the air for most of us. The flowers are going to bloom. The weather's going to improve. It's time to put the winter behind us. Take off that heavy winter coat and be refreshed before the Lord because we want to fall back in love with Jesus this year. We want to have an intimate, close, connected intimacy with Jesus Christ our Lord. In Philippians 3, it says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. But I love the way the Amplified Version of it says, and this, so that I may know Him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with Him, understanding the remarkable wonders of His person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness even to his death, dying just as he did. Now I know what many of you are thinking right now. Of course you want that. (laughs) Who wouldn't want what this verse is saying for their lives? But how do we get this kind of intimacy with Jesus? It's in one word today. I want to teach you how to simplify. Today we are going to talk about simplifying our lives, shrinking it down, 
minimizing it. It's like that old saying goes, K-I-S-S, keep it simple. Ooh, ouch. No, no. Don't call me stupid. Keep it simple, Sean. Keep it simple, Sean, or maybe. How'd it go, Sean? Well, PT, uh, within a couple minutes, they called me stupid, so I don't know. All right, well. Here's the core question I want us to ask ourselves today, and I'm asking this question to myself as well. How will simplifying my life give me a closer connection to Jesus? There are four topics I'm going to cover today. We're going to talk about possessions. We're going to talk about passions. We're going to talk about loss. And then finally, we're going to discuss the idea of intimacy with Jesus. So before I move on to the first part, possessions, just like earlier, I want us just to absorb and just take a deep breath and be refreshed before we continue. So let's talk about possessions today. Here's the big question I want to ask about possessions. Are possessions the resources we need or are they just obstacles? How many of you are looking forward to some spring cleaning in the next couple months? I hate having a messy room. I'm the only person in my household, it seems like, that likes to have a clean room. I don't like a bunch of stuff around me. And the funny thing about winter is you spend months just surrounded by all this stuff. And it's this interesting cultural habit we have where as soon as the springtime arrives and the sun starts coming out and we're tempted to actually step outdoors for a little bit, we realize, man, all that junk I have, I need to just get rid of. That old ratty t-shirt, that terribly disgusting pair of sweatpants that nobody needs to see anymore. It's time to do some spring cleaning. Maybe your garage has that busted up snow blower and it's time to just throw it away. Or there's that weird smell coming from the kitchen and maybe now it's finally time to do something about it. We're trying to do spring cleaning, but with our possessions, I want us to realize we have to remember this. Things are just things. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we make it a little bit too personal. We get a little bit too protective of the things we have. But things are just things. They're just objects. You stare at your phone pretty much every day, but I'd like to remind you that it never stares back. It's an object. It's not looking at you. You can't have a personal relationship with your phone or with your bed, or with your home. It's just stuff. And when we get angry, it's interesting. I find if I'm so angry, I might be tempted to throw an object, or I might be tempted to hit the wall, which is so funny when you think about it, because I can't hurt the wall. The wall can only hurt me. It's an inanimate object. But this is the relationship we have with the possessions in our life. Sometimes, instead of owning them, they kind of own us. They, they take over our lives. And I've noticed in my life that stuff can actually just get in the way. For any of you who have ever moved from one house to another, you probably realize that is the most miserable experience of all time. And you're going through everything in your house and... 
you have to put it away and get ready to send it somewhere. And in the process, you realize, why do I have all this junk? And you go, man, that, that's my life right there, huh? That box, oof. And um, a number of years ago, we were moving. My family was moving. This was when I was a teenager, moving from one house to another. And we weren't going to pay no moving company to take everything. We were going to be smart and, and save everything. So what we didn't do was have a move day. What we had was a move season of every once in a while, you'd grab something from the old house, you'd take it to the new house. And on one particular day, I was driving with my mom. I was in the passenger seat. And just for this particular day, the entire car was stuffed full of just things, lamps and knickknacks and books and most of it ended up somehow on me while I was in the passenger seat. And I was completely encased in stuff because we're not wasting a trip, Sean. We got to take everything we can. And you can hold stuff, right? Good. Okay, let's go. And I am uh, trying to hold this box of candles, I think it was, in my lap. When we're driving up Van Dyke and suddenly my mom goes, ah! And this car, out of nowhere, wasn't paying attention, and it had tried to make a U-turn right in front of my mom's car, so she had to slam the brakes and swerve the car, and we almost got into a head-on collision, and it was very scary. And momentarily, somehow I had this epiphany while it was happening, and I thought to myself, this is how I die. I get killed by a box of candles. <laughs> They're going to smash my face. Even if I survive, it won't be pretty. Fortunately, we did not get into a head-on collision. I guess it was a miracle. I don't know how we didn't hit the car. And of course, the woman was so apologetic because she didn't see us. And my mom was able to let it go, and we were able to continue onward. But I couldn't help but think I was about to be killed by stupid stuff that I don't want and I don't care about. And it's often when we go through these very serious situations, we realize how little the possessions in our life really mean to us. If you were to lose everything, it only hurts for a moment. But at the end of the day, the stuff is just stuff. And it can't replace that which is most valuable in our lives, which includes our lives. This is what Jesus had to say. In Luke 12, he said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones. I'll tear down my garage, and I'll build a bigger one. And there I will store my surplus grain, or my surplus golf clubs, and my surplus... Christmas stuff that nobody likes anymore. Get rid of it, mom. And build bigger ones. <laughs> and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool! Turn to your neighbor and say, you fool. This very night... Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. 
This is the revelation I've realized. I've realized that not only is stuff not really bringing me happiness into my life, even worse, it is actively distracting me from the things that genuinely do bring me happiness. And I've thought about, would I or would anybody I know ever get to the end of their life and wish that they had bought more things? I don't think so. I think sometimes as believers, we get so possessive of our possessions because we assign way too much of our identity to what we have. And this gets into the issue of envy. I don't have enough. I don't have as much as somebody else. And I think we come to believe the lie that we are only as valuable as the things we have. But I'd like you to know this morning, you are worth more than your things. You have a tremendous amount of value in God's eyes. You came into this world with absolutely nothing Nothing but a cute face. Some of you might not even have had that. (laughs) And you're going to leave this world with nothing. But this is how the Lord sees you. He doesn't need your things to love you. And you don't need your things to be loved. Once we let go of the things that don't matter, we are free to pursue all the things that really do matter. Here's the main takeaway I want you to have concerning possessions. You will be refreshed when your passions are more important than your possessions. And with that, let's just take a short moment to breathe. So now let's talk about passions. Here's the big question I have concerning passions. What do you spend your day doing? The waking hours of your life. They're finite. You don't have an infinite supply. What do you spend your day doing? Here's what I've wondered. Why do we get so mad when people waste our money, but we don't get mad when they waste our time? Sometimes I wish I could just pay somebody to leave me alone. So it was daylight savings. We had to spring forward today, which meant I lost an hour of sleep. And I'd like to tell you guys about a particular day in the month of February. It was Wednesday, February 12th. I woke up so tired. And I woke up with such a misery. I thought, no, I'm tired. It's not fair. I have to go to work. Please, God, no. Please don't do this to me. I'll do anything. And I remember lying in bed feeling so hopeless and helpless because there was literally nothing I could do to get one extra hour of sleep. I thought, I, could, I would write a check right now, Lord. One thousand, ten thousand, my entire savings account. One more hour of sleep, Lord. But I couldn't do it. It can't be done. Our time is completely finite. And it's so important to us. Our time is important. This is why we don't remember most of the things we do throughout the day. When you go to work and you go through meetings and you go through the routine of your day, you don't remember that stuff because that stuff's not significant. It doesn't stick out. 
What we always remember is the stuff that is important, the stuff that's meaningful to our lives. And that's what we need to spend our time doing, the most meaningful. Yes, there's work that needs to be done. The grass needs to get cut. The house needs to get clean. You need to get showered and cleaned and dressed and all those things, please. Make sure you do that every day for our sake. But if your life and your day is so finite, what will you spend your life devoted to? What is the highest priority you have for your life right now? The world tells us we have to be masters of everything. They tell us we have to go all the way to the other extreme. And this is why I have a great amount of pity and sympathy for young people today. I have no idea how a young person is possibly supposed to choose a lifelong career. There's so many options. They can be a doctor. They can be an engineer. They can get involved in social media and marketing. They can get involved in creative arts. They can go to business school. They can go into medicine. They can go into science. They can go into politics, sociology, economics. How are you possibly supposed to do all of these things in a lifetime? Even if you lived to be 150 years old, how can you possibly partake of everything the world is inviting you to do? And keep in mind, none of these things on their own are bad. All of these things can be good, but we can't do everything. You can't be a master of all things. I think the biggest problem with this need to be involved, to do everything, to have your kid in every sport, playing every instrument, trying to be engaged with every event and every cause, is whenever we get a win, whenever we accomplish something, we get our pat on the back, and then we immediately have to move on to the next thing. And there's never this time to celebrate. There's never this time to be thankful to the Lord, to have an offering or glory to give back to him, because we got to move on to the next thing. And we go from event in our life to the next event, to the next thing, to the next thing. And I would encourage you that you're doing a disservice to anything meaningful, when everything has to be meaningful. This is what Jesus said. He said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And not just money. You cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God and Instagram or Facebook. You cannot serve God and your boss. PT is not here, so I can say that. You cannot serve God and something. There has to be a moment where you prioritize, where you take a moment to choose. So like I said earlier, I have a lot of sympathy for young people today because how can they possibly make choices in today's world? 
when they have the entire collective knowledge of the human race in their pocket at any given moment, and there's this endless amount of possibilities. But the good news to that, the other side of that coin, is I believe choices are powerful in the midst of options. When you have so many choices, what you do choose means a lot more. So here's the main takeaway I want us to have concerning passions. To be refreshed, we must make choices about what matters most to us and be willing to lose anything else. And with that, let's take one more breath. So now let's talk about loss. You know, a lighthearted subject. So here's the big question I have concerning loss. How many of you enjoy art? Hopefully you guys enjoyed the artwork I made for this series. So I went to the DIA last year. And I consider myself an artist, and I like to be around art, and I like to be surrounded by art, and I like to look at art. And it's interesting, I go to the DIA, but I have a very different experience from it than maybe other people do. I go to the DIA, and I just feel terrible about myself. I think, man, I am not good at anything. This is where the real professionals and artists reside. I have no business calling myself an artist. However, last year I went to the DIA, and I found several art pieces that actually made me feel a little bit better about myself. So here's the donkey. The donkey's fun because it's a statue that everyone is encouraged to touch because it helps demonstrate that your fingerprints matter, the oil on your skin matters. You could ruin a piece of art by touching it. That's why they say, please don't touch the art. But you are freely encouraged to touch the donkey. If you guys go to the DIA, you go, and you go ahead and tell them, Sean told me to touch the donkey. Go to the next one. I love this one because this guy does not look too happy. And I think it's because of his fun little wizard hat. Go to the next one. So this lady looks, this is a great painting. I just, I can't get over the fact that that kind of looks like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Go to the next one. I love this one. I'm not sure what they're having a conversation about, but it's definitely gossip. Go ahead, the next one. Let's just move on. <laughs> See, this is what happens when you open up your phone and it's the front-facing camera. And then let's go to the last one. This one's my favorite. That's what some of you all look like right now when you're staring at me up from here. And the one I really want you guys to see, though, is this next one. This is the statue of King David by Michelangelo. That's the most I can show you. If I show you more of that statue, I'll get in trouble. But I cannot help but be captivated by Michelangelo's David. That is carved out of marble, out of rock, out of stone. And the detail, that statue is 20-something feet tall. It's this awe-inspiring sight. But I kept thinking about the statue of David when preparing this series. And I thought, at one point, David wasn't David. He was a giant block of marble. And Michelangelo had to come up to it 
And he had to just chip away at it over and over again until David was found within it. And that is considered Michelangelo's masterpiece. But the thought I had was, was what if we looked at ourselves as God's masterpiece? And we started asking questions about our lives. We started wondering, how much must I eliminate from my life to reveal what God truly sees in me? What do I need to lose before God's true masterpiece can be revealed in me? And I realized it recontextualizes so much of loss in my life when I thought like that. Because I always looked at losing things as a downside. If I, if I buy something and I lose it. If I buy it and it breaks. If something happens in my life and I have less later, then I've, I, I, I've failed somehow. But I've started to see things differently. I've started to realize that when one would go see the statue of King David, there's not anybody on earth that would find themselves grieving over the loss of that giant block of marble. Nobody grieves what was lost once they see the masterpiece revealed. Once they see the true identity of who God has made them to be. When you finally realize what God sees in you, you will not be satisfied with anything or anyone else. And you would be more than comfortable and content to let him chase and strip and break away anything that doesn't align with that identity he has assigned to you. So I want to share a couple verses with you about how God does this in our lives. First of all, God prunes us. In John 15, this is what Jesus said. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It's fascinating how plants are pruned and how if you want to actually make a plant grow more efficiently and better, you actually have to cut it down. And this is what God does in our life. As soon as there's a dead branch in our lives, it gets cut off. And if even a branch or an area in our life is excessively fruitful, he still will cut it back. And there's a lot of other reasons that you can prune a plant. Sometimes you're just trying to prune the plant because you're trying to redirect or shape its growth. Sometimes one of the branches gets so heavy, it's so fruitful, it's so strong, it needs to be pruned because there's a risk that it might just snap off. And also, sometimes you would prune a plant because you're preparing to graft something new onto it. 
and you need to cut it back so that what is added newly into it can cause them to grow together. So here's the main idea. You are more fruitful when you aren't spread so thin. And this is why God wants us to simplify our lives. Because you were made to bear much fruit. But part of bearing more fruit is being okay with letting God cut back in your life. It's like the bow and arrow. The arrow only flies as far as it's pulled back before it's let go, right? Here's another point I want to make concerning how God uses and loses the things in our lives. 1 Corinthians 3. Paul wrote, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives... The builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. I just want to say concerning this briefly, we need to accept and understand that every single thing in our life we will have to give an account for to the Lord. And most of the things in this world... I'm not saying most of the things in your life. I'm saying most of the things in this world are not going to be of enough quality for God to accept. That's why we're trying to live a life set apart. That's why we're trying to live a life that's different. That's why we come to church on a Sunday and we want to hear the word of the Lord and we want to become more like Jesus. Because there will come a day when everything will be put to the test. We're not going to take any of our possessions with us into the kingdom. But concerning passions, there are certainly things we can spend our lives doing that are like silver and gold. Meanwhile, there's a lot of things in this world that are like hay, wood, and straw, and they will not survive a fire. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, this is talking about his 12 disciples, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But here's what's important. Jesus said, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. When I read this verse, I realize something. Everything I have, I will have to let go before I leave this world. Everything and everyone. I pass through a very, very thin filter between this world and eternity. But, I know that the Lord is watching and what I surrender, what I give up in this world for His sake, I will gain in the next world in a way that is incorruptible. In a way that can never fall apart. In a way that will never fail. 
It sometimes is hard to be a believer in this world, isn't it? You want to do the things that everybody else gets to do, but sometimes you know to honor God you cannot. Sometimes you have to have conversations with people where they don't understand why you do what you do, why you live the way you do, why you practice the principles you do. And we've had to go through a baptism of fire in our lives in order to continually serve the Lord. If we want to honor what His Word says, Sometimes it costs us something. But there is a promise in Scripture. There is nothing you could possibly lose in this world that the Lord cannot return to you if He wants. So here's the main takeaway I have for loss. We will be refreshed Not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. Thanks, Jim. Let's take one more breath. Let's talk about an intimacy with Jesus. And I want to start with a scripture. This is the story of when a rich young ruler approached Jesus Christ and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was a rich young ruler, which tells me he had everything this world can offer. He had wealth, he had his health, and he had influence. But he asked the most important question of the Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And him and Jesus had a conversation. At the end of the conversation, Jesus said this to him. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The reason possessions is in brackets here is because I found out that the Greek in this verse for possessions, literally means that which possesses you. Here's also something I looked up and I found out. If you are hearing this message in Metro Detroit, Michigan, right now, if you are in this room listening to me talk, statistically, you are in the top five richest people in the world's population. That's you. In fact, I was so blown away by that statistic, I then found another one. Even if you gave away 50% of your income, if we took your income and we cut it right in half, you would still be in the top 15% of the world's richest. So I'd encourage you not to take this verse and think this passage doesn't apply to you. For many years, I'd hear the story of the rich young ruler, and I'd be like, yeah, that's right. That's what you get, rich guy. Because everybody hates the rich, which is ironic because we all want to be rich. Americans seem to all look at themselves as temporarily inconvenienced millionaires. But I have to start empathizing with this young man in this verse. Because even though he had so much stuff, I think he was asking the right question. I think he genuinely wanted to know from the Lord, what must I do to truly follow you? The rich young ruler could have been the 13th disciple. You never know. 
But when Jesus told him he had to give these things away, it doesn't say he walked away indignant. It doesn't say he walked away offended. It says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. And there is this sorrow attached to how much we have in this world and how much we have to let go of. I'd like you to realize today, and something I've had to come to understand, is we have much more than we don't have. And that which we might not have might be the only thing that matters. And there's a possibility that that which we do have might be the very thing that is keeping us from what matters. So let's go back to the core question from earlier. How will simplifying my life give me a closer connection to Jesus? Like the rich young ruler, we can ask the big questions, but are we ready for the answer? Because I'm personally, you know, there's a lot of conversations nowadays about how much should a Christian really have? If you profess to follow Jesus Christ, how much money should you have? How big of a house should you have? How many things should you own? When is it inappropriate? When have you bought into a weird, twisted version of the gospel where God is only about getting you more? But is there another side of that coin where we we believe we're supposed to live in such despondent poverty and it's completely unbiblical? And there's a lot of a gray area about stuff. So let me tell you right now, I am not really worried about how much stuff you have. And I'm not even worried about how many things you accomplish in this life. What I want to make sure is that when you stand before Jesus one day, you will know him. And he will recognize you. That you will know him and he will know you. This is the main takeaway I want to give you concerning intimacy with the Lord. If we want to follow Jesus, we must stop spending our lives chasing things that don't matter. And finally, I'm going to leave you with this verse. Philippians 3, it says, But whatever were gains to me, this is Paul, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Will you stand with me? Let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I often think of how privileged we are that we know you. How there are literally billions of people who do not have that privilege today. But Father God, I do not want to take that privilege for granted. I do not want to underestimate how important it is to actually discover who you are and for us to actually realize what your heart is. So, Father God, I'm asking today that you would help us to understand what truly is important in our household, 
in our pocket, in what we do every day. I'm asking, Lord God, that we would have a renewed understanding of what it looks like to, in a healthy way, simplify our life. I pray, Father God, this morning that that if there is a burden on our shoulders because of the stuff that we have, because of the things that the world is demanding we do, I'm asking, Father God, that you would lift that off of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be a refreshing for the people in this room today. I pray that they would have a liberation from things and wants and everything that is pulling them away from you. And Father God, I am well aware that in this room there are people who are suffering. There are people who have lost things that they are never going to get back. But I'm asking, Father God, that you would speak a word to their heart, that they would come to understand that nothing has been lost which cannot be given back by you and in a greater capacity. I pray, Father God, that though we look at ourselves and we can only see the things that we've lost and the things that we never received, I'm praying, Father God, that we would start to see the masterpiece that you have created in us. I'm praying that, Father God, just because we have lost things does not mean that we cannot be more fruitful in the future. I pray that you'd multiply us, God. You'd multiply our hearts and draw us deeper into connection and intimacy with you, Jesus. Because there is nothing greater than you. There is no greater possession than you, Jesus. There is no greater love than you, Jesus. So I'm asking this morning that we would keep the first thing, the first thing once more in our lives. And that in this series, Father God, we would be refreshed, we'd be renewed, we'd be satisfied in a way that we have not been for a long time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, Amen.